We are continuing in Ephesians this morning. We're working our way through chapter 5. Um, we're going to start in verse 15 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there, um, it's page 1038 um, in the Bible that's right in front of you in the pew. You can always also follow along in your own Bible or in our Brentwood Bible Church app. Um, if you click on um, read the scripture from the worship service thing, it'll take you straight to um, the scripture. But we've been seeing especially in this section of Ephesians, Paul keeps talking about walking, right? Walking worthy of your calling, of walking in light, of walking in love. And he continues to build on that theme of walking this morning in chapter 5. And so I'm not going to give a long introduction today. We're just going to jump right in. So we're going to start just by reading this text together. So we're going to read 15 um, through 21 this morning. And it says... Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord." giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And so what he's talking about today is walking. We're going to talk about walking in wisdom, and then we're going to talk about how we can um, walk in the Spirit. And so we're taking it kind of in a in a two, two, two parts, and so we're going to walk through that kind of verse by verse as we normally do. And so he talks first in verse 15 about walking in wisdom of giving your life attention, right? He says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. There's a lot of things in our life that we pay careful attention to, right? Our jobs, our finances, social media, cleaning, school, family, our health, sometimes we pay attention to that, um, how we look. But is our spiritual life something that we pay careful attention to? We might say, yes, I pay attention to my spiritual life, but is it in the same way as other areas of our life? So um, I openly admit this in front of you guys. I'm a little bit of a nerd, and especially for us when it comes to budgeting. And so I have a budgeting app on my phone, and all of our accounts automatically connect to that and send all of our transactions into this app. And every day, I go through and I categorize each of those transactions into a certain category so I know how much we've spent in that, if we have more to spend in that, kind of how we're doing overall. Um, And that might sound like overkill to you, um, and that's okay if you don't do it that way, but that's me paying careful attention to our finances, right? To knowing what's happening And so I check that so I can see, are we doing okay? Are we on the right track? Are we saving for a vacation or for college or whatever it is that's coming up next? And so I'm doing that. But then the question I think this is asking is, am I doing something similar to that in my spiritual life? Am I paying that kind of attention to my spiritual life and to my spiritual health? Am I asking the question regularly, daily, am I spiritually healthy? Am I closer to God than I was last month or last year? Am I following through in obedience to his call? Am I confessing and repenting my sins? 
Are we paying careful attention to those things? And I would say I'm not paying as careful attention to that as I am to other areas of my life, right? The other areas seem more pressing. They seem more kind of you have to do that or things get out of control where our spiritual lives kind of coast on the side. So I think Paul is challenging us to pay attention to our spiritual lives in the same way we would pay attention to other areas of our lives. And I think in addition just to paying attention to our own spiritual health, I think we should also spend time thinking about how our spiritual life integrates with the other parts of our lives. Um, the, the, the phrase I've had for this through the years um, is, is don't silo your spirituality. Right? Think of a grain silo. It's super high and super tall, and all the grain goes in there, and it stays in there, away from all the other types of grain, and it stays by itself. Sometimes we do that with our spirituality. It stays in this one place, and it doesn't touch the other areas of our lives. Right? But our spirituality should affect everything else that we do in all areas of our life, in our finances, in our parenting, in our marriage, at work or at school, with our friends, Right? Our, our, our life goals don't just go in one category and our spiritual life goes in another category. Those things should go together. Right? Spirituality is included and is impacted by and should impact those other areas of our life. Right? So when you're reading your Bible and you come across the principle that God gives us in his word, right, we should apply that and ask, what does that mean in these different areas of my life? What does that mean in my marriage or for being retired? or with my family, or with my friends, or for my coworkers, or how I drive in traffic, right? How, do all, how does that principle apply in all of those things so it integrates into what we're doing in our life, of paying careful attention about how to live out our spirituality in all areas of our lives? And then he tells us to live as, not as unwise people, but as wise, right? When we live as wise people, Essentially, what he's asking us to do is to take every opportunity to please and glorify the Lord. We get opportunities every day, and most of us, I think, just kind of miss them, right? Because we're so busy doing other things. So it's to pay attention, to be aware of, and take advantage of those opportunities. And then he gives us some very specific things for how we can live as wise people. And the first one he talks about is what I'm calling redeeming the time, um, your version or translation, if you're using a different one, may say redeem the time because the days are evil. Ours says making the most of the time. Um, and so it's, it's just a different translation, but it means the same thing. And so this verb that's used there that says make the most of, it can mean to redeem. Um, and so we think when we think of redemption, I think as Christians, we think of it in one sense right, of in that moment, we should do the thing that God want, most wants us to do, right? We redeem that moment by living out what God has called us to do. So we're redeeming that time by living the way that God desires for us to live. But there's a, a second way to look at this word or phrase, and that is to buy back, which is essentially what redemption means. And so our time every day begs to be spoken for by other people and by other things. There are always things around you and in your life that are trying to take your time or for you to use your time on them. And some, things, some of those things are good, and some of those things are not so good. Some are unavoidable, right? You have to drive to work 
You have to drive home. You have to take your kids to school. You should spend some time each day, I think, trying to be like clean. So those things just take time. There's nothing good or bad about those. It's just part of it. And some of the things that we do have some flexibility. But Paul is asking us to buy back, to take back our time, to protect it, to fight for it, to use it wisely. So we need to buy back our time from the things that try to take it away from us, whatever that is. I think if we kind of look at our lives, if we pay careful attention to how we use your time, um, we could all probably find places that we are not buying back our time. Right? We may not be using it as wisely as we could, and sometimes that's okay. Right? This doesn't mean you need to be all out every minute of every day, but to be wise in how we use our time. But we should be buying our time from drifting, right? drifting away from God spiritually or just not moving forward. Buying back our time from laziness or from purposelessness and the extreme that he gives us to buy back your time from evil. And so it's our job as we pay careful attention to our lives to buy back our time, to redeem the time that we have each day. And then he gives us a warning for what happens if we don't make the best use of the time. If we don't redeem it, if we don't buy it back, we will be overtaken by the evil of the day, by the evil of the world around us. Right? The world will slowly push us away from God. It will slowly push us away from seeking Him. It will push us into using our time for ourselves, using our time for our own glory and our own purposes. Which is why I think Paul is speaking in this phrase with some urgency. Right? He's saying, take back your time to Fight for it, to be intentional. Don't wait, don't coast, don't drift. Do it now. Do it today. So he calls us to redeem our time. And then he calls us to live out God's will. We see this in verse 17. It says, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So here we have another contrast between foolish and unwise people and wise and understanding people, right? The unwise simply lack wisdom, but the foolish is a whole different category. They live contrary to what they know to be right, right? So you would say things like, I know what the right thing is to do, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I want instead. Or I'll feel better if I do this, even though I know I'm not supposed to or it won't hurt anyone, or no one will know if I do this, so that's going to make it okay. But the wise and understanding understand God's will. They seek to know what is right. They seek to know how God desires for them to live, and they live in accordance with that. And I think for us, it's helpful to think of God's will in two different parts. First, we have his general will, and then we have his particular will. So his general will is what relates to the generality of his people and is actually the same for all of us. So when we say, um, put your faith in Christ, that's something that all of us should do. When he says, live worthy of your calling in Christ, that's kind of for everybody to do. Everybody is called to do those things, to make us like Christ. And there's a whole bunch of those that all of us are called to do the same exact things. 
And so his general will is found in Scripture. Um, It's the will of God for the people of God that has been revealed in the Word of God. But then on the other side, we have his particular will, right, which is particular to each one of us. All right, these are questions like, what job should I take? What school should I go to? What philosophy should I use to parent my kids? Which way should I drive to work or to a certain other place? Like those specific things that apply only to you is the particular will. How does God want us to live in those things? Right? The struggle is the answers to those questions are actually not in your Bible. Right? For each one of us, it doesn't tell us all of those things that we may want to know. Right? And even this morning, this sermon, I'm really giving you the general will. I, I'm not often speaking to the specific parts of your lives or your specific situation. I'm really asking you to take the, what you learn, the principles and things that we're talking about, and to apply those to your situation, to your life. Because even in a church our size, I can't, if I was to sit up here and speak through like everyone's situation and how it applies to everybody, we'd be here a lot longer than any of us would probably want to be here, right? So we're giving you the general, this is what we're supposed to do, and then we apply that as particular, right? And so the general principles of Scripture guide us to understand God's will, but then detailed decisions of how we live that out have to be made by us through thinking and prayer and seeking the advice of other believers, And so wisdom, as she talked about last week, is the skill of godly living. And so to do that, we examine our lives, we redeem the time, and we seek to follow God's will. But we need help with that, right? So what Paul does in the second half is he reminds us that we have help and that we can do those things as we walk in the Spirit, Right, which is where he calls us to be filled with the Spirit. We see this in verse 18. It says, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Um, if you've noticed, um, Paul uses a lot of contrasts. He'll say one thing, and he'll say the opposite next to it. Right? And he doesn't always make it obvious that those are contrasts, but that is something he uses especially a lot in Ephesians, and I think he's doing that again here. He's contrasting being drunk with wine and being filled by the Spirit, right? For fun, you can go back to Acts 2 and read what people thought was happening at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples. It was a conversation that looked almost exactly like this verse. But I think this contrast of what he's talking about centers on the idea of control. And if he is talking about you like us as persons, in both cases, you or we are not in control. In one case, alcohol is in control, right? When you drink too much, you are no longer in control. You are loose, you do things you wouldn't normally do, you say things you wouldn't say, you act in ways you wouldn't normally act. But on the other side, the spirit is in control, Right? We know these concepts because we have phrases like they were under the influence right? whenever they did something. And we say this, right? somebody's under the influence of alcohol, but I think the other side could also be true. Someone is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
right? That we can see both sides of that. One side pushes us out of control, and one side brings self-control. So we contrast those two against each other, um, that we are in neither one of those are we actually in control, but one we give ourselves over to the Spirit, and one we give ourselves over to alcohol or whatever that leads us, or you can throw in whatever you want for alcohol, because if that's not what your issue is or what you might be struggling with, it could be something else. But I also want us to notice that he says, be filled with the Spirit. He doesn't say, fill yourself doesn't say you can do it. This means we don't do it. It means we are filled by the Spirit. This means that we allow the Holy Spirit to take control of our lives. Right? We do this by listening for the Spirit, by trusting in the Spirit, and obeying the Spirit's guidance. And so as we do that more and more and more, we become under the influence of the Spirit to live out what He is calling us to do. And I think the next things he gives us all seem to be connected to being filled with the Spirit. So I think everything after that in the verses we're looking at are connected to the Spirit or spiritual worship or how we interact spiritually. So I think the next one in verse 19 is, is really there just to remind us to encourage one another, but to do this in a way that we don't normally think about. Right, because in verse 19, he says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So psalms refer to the Old Testament psalms that the Christians as well as the Jews would have used in their worship. Hymns were songs um, that talked about some person or God in Greek culture and the true God in Christian worship. And spiritual songs is a general term that covers all kinds of praise through singing. And I think what this is telling us is speaking and singing together is good, right? We can use all kinds of songs when we do this, which is why we use psalms and we use scripture readings and we use confessions. We use the things of the past and historical Christianity to ground us in what Christians have believed throughout the centuries, and to remind us that we all believe in the same things, right? From hundreds of years ago, we are confessing the same things. Things like the Apostles' Creed, right? It reminds us that we are in a chain of faith with people from long ago. And we also sing hymns. And for us, when we think of hymns, we think of some more traditional songs that Christians have been singing for decades or for hundreds of years. And... When I thought about this, I realized we actually have a, a much narrower piece of the hymns than we think, because for most of us, most of our knowledge is limited to Baptist hymns, right? And if you're here this morning in the room, you have a Baptist hymnal in front of you, and I'm willing to bet if you flipped through it, at least half of the songs you've never sung in your life. Right? It's full of songs that we don't sing. So even what we know, what we think are all the hymns, is just a small sliver of what we know, of what we sing. Right? And then we talk about spiritual songs, and I think for us this applies to newer songs that are being written, that are inspired by the Spirit, that are theologically sound, and we need these too. 
right? Because we encourage each other when we sing them all, when we use all of those things together. Because when we do that, when we use psalms and hymns and confessions and responsive readings and traditional hymns and newer songs, and we put all of those together, we actually get a bigger view of who God is. We can see God from a different perspective, right? What they thought about God in the 1500s or in the 300s or in the 2020s right? What, what is God like in those times? And we all are very similar in what we sing, and so I think it helps us to understand who God is. But I think this, when we do this together, it encourages us, which is why I encourage people to come to church, to be together in the room, because hearing you guys sing is encouraging. I also want you to think about this a little differently. So one of the things that um, we do throughout the week as we prepare for a service. Um, we kind of choose the songs to make sure that they're there. And when um, lately Jeremy's been learning some new songs that you guys have been singing forever that are new to him and things we haven't sung in a while. But I actually am encouraged when I see those on our list, when he chooses one of those, because I know that a lot of you will enjoy singing that song. So I am encouraged when you get to sing a song that you love that you don't sing very often. And so I think if we all thought that way to say, I am encouraged when someone else gets to sing the song that they love, that they get to sing the song that they're used to, that makes them feel closer to the Lord, whatever that is. And so I think it encourages us when we mix all of those together and we sing together. So even if you may not know it as well as the other ones, I think it encourages all of us to sing together well, which is what he says next, right? Sing to the Lord, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, right? And so singing, when we sing together as a church, basically there's two audiences, right? One is us together as the gathered church. We're singing together, reminding each other of God's character and God's work in Christ, that he does have a beautiful name later, that he is holy, that he does love us, that we are saved in Christ alone. Right? We sing that together to remind each other of those truths. But we also sing that to God, to Jesus. As, a, as what we saw last week, right? a fragrant offering Right, of praising him for who he is. Right, which is why we, we come together for corporate worship, right? Congregational singing that we sing together. But notice what he says. He says, singing and making music with your heart. He doesn't say singing and making music with your voice. He says, with your heart. And so what I think he's talking about is the attitude we have as we sing those songs, as we come to worship, which is great for people like me who I'm pretty sure I'm not singing all the notes correctly. I'm pretty sure I'm out of tune a lot, right? But it doesn't say I have to sing all the right notes. It just says in my heart, I have to worship God. I have to understand what I'm singing and sing it to him. Right? That's what it means to worship with your heart. I'm going to pair this right, with the verse that we all know. Right, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Right? It doesn't mean that you have to sing well. It just means make the noise. 
right? That you love God and you sing. And so when we come together, whether you sing really loud or you sing quiet, I'm just continuing to encourage you to sing together. Because when we do that, it encourages one another and it glorifies God. And then he calls us to give thanks, right? In verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, so the call is to give thanks for everything, right? Taking the time to thank him for your blessings, for how he has provided, for how he has grown you, how he has moved you forward in your spiritual life. And I spent some, some time this morning just thinking about how blessed we are, most of us are, most of us in this room, and if you're watching online, um, that means you have a computer or you have a smartphone or you have some type of device that you can watch and you also have internet, right? Which is a blessing that a lot of people in the world don't have. It made me think about things like when we go to the doctor, and for many of us, if we don't like what they say, then we get a second opinion or a third opinion. And how much of a, a blessing it is for most of us to be able to afford to get second and thirds opinions or to go to the doctor at all, right? That's a blessing. But we take so many of those things for granted that we miss them, right? But I hope that you would take time and just think about what has God blessed me with? And often it's, right, the ability to go eat wherever you want after church today. Most of you can afford to go eat wherever you want, right? So we can do those things. He has blessed us with so much. He has blessed us with a church family, right? People around us, some of you have walked together for decades, to encourage one another and to support one another and to care for one another. He's given us all of that, right? And so we give thanks for those things. We give thanks, right, that even in the challenging times, he has been there. And you can see how he was working once you get on the other side. Now, just as a quick aside, I, that, I don't think that means you have to thank him for the hard time that you are going through. I don't think that's what he's asking you to do. The thing you might be in right now, that might be a little extreme, but we can, I think, even in those times, acknowledge that God is at work, even if we don't see or understand it in the moment. There are lots of things going on in the world right now that we don't understand, that we don't know why people are doing what they're doing, right? People are in invasion of Ukraine, maybe one of them for you, maybe whatever you think about that, the way the world is divided, the political division, the way people are talking about different issues in our country, right? We may be, I don't understand what's happening. I don't know how somebody could think that or try that or do that. But it's our job just to trust that in that God is working somehow and when we get to the other side, we'll be able to see it or we'll see, right, glimpses of light, glimpses of hope, Right? I think, whatever you think, I think in the Ukrainian president, he's showing what it means to be a leader and to show hope, even in the midst of a situation that I'm not sure how they get out of. Right? And so that's a glimpse of hope. Whether he's a believer in Christ or not, it's a little bit of hope. And so we take those moments of hope and we say, the real hope is found in Jesus. And we can all have that hope. And so we give thanks for what God is doing or what he will do in our situation. And then we get to 21, 
I'm not going to do a whole lot here because he talks about submitting to one another. Um, but what Paul does actually in the next three sections, he talks about different ways that we submit to one another. Um, and so we're actually going to go through all of those next week and what that means. And I know from experience when we start talking about submission and submitting to one another, sometimes people get a little intense when we talk about that. So um, we're going to take a whole sermon for that next week. But he just, there is some level Right, where as believers in Christ, and we've talked about this before, as church members, we submit to one another to say, I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to help me grow. I want you to help me walk the way the Spirit wants me to walk. I want you to help me redeem the time. I want help you to help me find God's will. And so we do that together so that we encourage one another and we walk the way that God intends us to walk. And so I think what Paul is telling us this morning is to walk wisely, right? To be intentional with your spiritual life, to pay attention to it, to take inventory, to track it like you would your finances or whatever it is you spend a lot of time tracking, to be intentional with your time, to buy it back, to be intentional, to choose spiritual things to do with your time. To be intentional with seeking and living out God's will, both in a general sense for all of us and particularly for your own situation. That we are intentional with singing and with encouraging one another. That when we do that together in the same room, we encourage each other and we praise and glorify God. And we are intentional with giving thanks, of being content and grateful for what God has given us, whether that's salvation or a material blessing or family or friends or whatever it may be, that we are thankful in those moments. And as we do this, we can walk worthy of the calling that God has given us. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are we thank you for what you've done. We do thank you for all of the blessings that you give us, right? For all the things that we take for granted that you, you've given us sometimes, right? That's, sometimes that's salvation itself, that we just, we've been believers so long, we've been doing the same thing so long that we forget where we were before or how impactful salvation can be in our lives. So God, help us to be thankful for that. Help us to be patient and to be watching and listening to the Spirit to see how you are working in the world and how we can come alongside what you are doing. So God, help us to seek you, help us to trust in you, help us to redeem the time that we will think and pay attention to how we use our time each day to make sure that we are using it in a way that glorifies you, that honors you, that we would redeem those things. God, I pray even just now as we're about, that you would help us to sing together, that we will sing of your holiness, that we will sing of your grace and your mercy, and that we would be encouraged as we hear others sing of the same thing to remind us that we are all trying to walk this path. We are all trying to honor you with our lives. All of our lives were changed by what you did for us on the cross. So God, help us to walk and to sing and to talk and to speak and to act in ways that glorify you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.